Well, if you're joining us online, we're glad to have you this morning, and uh, appreciate you tuning in to be a, a part of, uh, of our time together, and trust that God has a purpose for that, or you wouldn't be with us right now. We're finishing up uh, the Bible study that we were doing over the summer, and this is the last of that, as, uh, as I told that class that I would do, and so this is mm, a little bit different kind of a sermon, I suppose. Um, because it's uh, more of a teaching thing <clears throat> based upon uh, the book that we've been that we studied, which is this uh, the bondage breaker uh, video series and so forth that uh, Neil Anderson wrote. So anyway, um, that should catch you up with where we are and uh, it'll stand on its own. So you don't have to have gone through the whole thing for this to be of use to you in Exodus, the 20, uh, 20th chapter, the fourth verse. I normally read out of the NIV because it's just uh, less cumbersome than the, than the old King James or the old American standard, but I often go back to those when I'm trying to build a theological case because a lot of times the newer versions I don't think are as uh, accurate to the original text. And of course, always the best thing to do is just go back to the original text where you can have the ability to do that. And mine's getting more and more limited there. But he says here, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or to worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am jealous, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Um. I don't like the, the NIV there. I don't like that word punishing, punishing the children. And so just because I didn't like it, I went and looked in uh, the original translations and, or, uh, and then picked it up in the NIV or picked it up in the King James and the American Standard, which are kind of my go-tos. I think they're the best translations. <clears throat> if you're looking to build theology in those two, when they agree, Man, you just know you're in the right ballpark anyway. And I didn't like it because I didn't, uh, that's not the way I see God. Uh, I just, it, it communicates something other than what I think the text really intended to communicate. And so if you read it from the King James, you get this in the American Standard and really every other translation reads this way except the NIV and the Living, which Living is not a translation to it's something else, paraphrase. But thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord uh, thy God, and, and I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them who hate me, of them that hate me, and showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now, that, does that sound totally different to you? It is totally different, isn't it? Visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children. Uh, I walked in to pay for my gasoline at a little service station in Trenton, Missouri, 100,000 years ago, it seems like now. Um, but it's the only time I ever had this experience in my life was standing in line, and the guy in front of me was just running out lotto tickets like crazy. And... Uh, he had handed the guy behind the counter his paycheck and he took the entire paycheck and turned it into lottery tickets. 
and uh, walked out the door. And I looked at him and I said, do you get a lot of that? And he said, well, from that guy. <laughs> you know, so evidently he was a repeat customer. Um, visiting the iniquities of the father upon the children. Uh, punishing the children for the sins of the father. There's the difference there, isn't there? They didn't eat that week, not because God was punishing them, but because of the iniquities of the fathers were being visited upon the family, right? And maybe they ate. Maybe he was that rich. You know, I don't know. But it certainly, it certainly in some sense was going to affect the family, right? They were going to be at loss because of what he had done, unless he struck it rich and he's a billionaire now, which didn't happen. But let me read you what uh, the pulpit commentary said about this passage says, God manifestly does by the laws in his moral universe entail on children many consequences of their parents' ill doings. Would you agree with that? He's put something in the DNA of this universe, hasn't he? That just reflects his nature and character. And... Uh, leaves us with a responsibility so that we in some sense by our choices and by our faith and our belief systems can, can indeed impact our future, can't we? And the future and the lives of people around us. He goes on here to say this, gives illustration, as in diseases which come from the uh, profligacy uh, or the intemperance of the parents. My vocabulary is so good in old age, I looked it up, and it's uh, profligacy is uh, licentiousness, which didn't work for me either, so I had to keep looking in the dictionary. Uh, reckless extravagance, and that's uh, specifically sometimes applied to immoral behavior. There you go. Did that help you? Yeah, these guys in the commentaries sometimes are just too blame smart for me and I have to use a dictionary, you know. The poverty, which is the result of idleness and ex or extravagance, uh, the ignorance and evil habits, which are the fruit of, uh, which are the fruit of the spirit. Dude, you're listening. I'm impressed. Yeah, you're ahead of me. Uh, which are the fruit of a neglected education, you know, where parents just become lazy and then they don't teach their kids the things of God. Uh, you know, can you imagine growing up in a home where, well, some of you probably did, you know, but I cannot imagine growing up in a home where the gospel was not taught and things of God were not exalted. You talk about an advantage. Is that not an advantage? I cannot imagine not having the gospel of Jesus Christ in front of me all of my life. To grow up and not understand and know that God loved you. To not ever see sin for what sin is because your parents never called it sin. To not understand that you were in rebellion and disobedience to the Lord. Come in. You jumped like, that's hilarious. Yeah. Really, you can't, 
mess me up because I'm already messed up. Okay, we'll just pick it up and go on. And yet I know Christians sometimes who do not take the opportunity to tell their kids about the great things of God. Isn't it true? And what a, what a tragedy that is. I mean, I knew that I needed a Savior because of the home that I grew up in. And I knew that there was a God who loved me and I knew that I had a sin problem. Figured that out pretty early. But more than anything else, when I came to the Lord at an early age, it was because I knew He loved me. And I wanted a love relationship with Him. A lot of people don't find that out till they're way older, if they find that out at all. The iniquities of the parents, are they passed down? Do they affect the next generation to where they might not even have a moral conscience to know right or wrong? The vicious lives of their parents would have sown in them the seeds of physical and moral evil. There are people who do that. Live such lives that they sow in their children these seeds of physical and moral evil. They would commonly be brought up in wrong courses. Have their moral senses early perverted and so suffer for their parents faults it would be difficult for them to raise out of their unhappy condition still each would bear his own iniquity that's what we do each would be judged by that he had not by that he had not an all-wise god would in the final award make allowance for the disadvantages of birth and inherited disposition and would assign to each their position to which his own conduct, his struggles, his efforts, his endeavors after right would entitle him. I agree with that. Do you? <clears throat> There's only so far that we can go in blaming everything on somebody else. But we need to realize and understand that as parents, we're passing something on to the next generation. Even either something about the character and nature of God and the relationship that he wants with us by the way we live with each other, by the way we live with our spouses, by the way we we walk and talk and live and breathe in that household or we're passing on something totally different. And in the end, the kids can't blame where they are on the parents. In Jeremiah 31, 21, 29 and 30, it says in those days they shall no more say the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity only. Every man who eats sour grapes, his own teeth shall be set on edge. And in Ezekiel 8, 2, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? So the father have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. This is cell phone morning, isn't it? I like your ring better than Jean's. However... I could hear Jean's better than I can yours, you know. Hers is definitely set for death, okay? So, yeah. You can't blame it on your parents. Your iniquities in the end are yours. You have to own them, right? You can't say, oh, my parents did this and I'm now all that's happening in my life that's falling apart is because of them. Nope, we all make our choices. And that's what Jeremiah and Ezekiel are saying. That only goes so far. And if you look at this passage of Scripture, it's pretty clear about that in the way that it's worded in the King James. Because it says, 
the curse that's coming down, the iniquities of fathers that's visited upon the kids. Look at this. He says, to the third and fourth generations of them that hate me. That kids end up hating the Lord too. You don't have to do that because your folks hated the Lord. You don't have to do that. You have a choice where you can love the Lord. And it says a thousand generations of them that love him. You ultimately have that choice. And you're going to be responsible for that. But we see this. We see how we are affected by those that have gone before us. Let's go way back generationally. Maybe not think about your grandpa and grandma for a minute, but let's go back a little further than that, than your great-grandpa and grandma. Let's go back to Adam and Eve. Are you living with the consequences of your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-
And so now people become the problem and we got to get rid of us because, hey, we're, we're what's messing it all up. You see, when you got the wrong conclusion at the end, you mess all your thinking up along the way. Do we affect each other? Sure. Yeah. But we have to keep it in the right perspective. Let's go to Anderson from our book a minute. Those are the verses that he gave us to look at as we approach this study. So I just kind of wanted to deal with them with you. He says this, the iniquities of one generation can adversely affect future ones unless those sins are renounced and a new spiritual heritage in Christ is claimed. Now, there's a lot of truth in that, right? I can adopt a new morality completely different from my pagan parents. Or I can reject my Christian parents' morality and love and faith and choose something else as well. He says this cycle of abuse and all negative influences can be stopped through genuine repentance. Repentance is a key to breaking the cycle. Because if we're not careful, what we do is we fall into the same cycle and repentance is recognizing the cycle is wrong and taking steps to step out of that to follow the Lord. It's just that simple. And then he says, you are not guilty of your ancestors' sins, but you were affected by their influence. I, I really like that. You're not guilty of your ancestors' sins. I never owned any slaves. There's a lot of things that I didn't do, that people are going back and trying to tell me I'm guilty of. I never shot any Indians. I know, that's really politically correct. Amanda's thinking, I'm going to have to cut that. But you don't. You're not guilty of your ancestors' sins. But are you affected by them, influenced by them? Sure you are. Oh, I just made a case for critical race theory, right? Jesus said, this is Anderson, that after we have been fully trained, we will be like our teachers in Luke 640. I don't know of one critical race theory teacher that I want to be like, so let's just forget all that. The influence and the effect upon our lives that our ancestors had upon us, or for that matter, our world and our society, in the end, is our choice. And we can walk into the things of God, and we can walk out of those things with repentance. And there are people who refuse to believe that that's even a possibility. And so we're all labeled a particular way because of our ancestry, and critical race says this is who you are, when in reality it may not be at all. We got some crazy stuff going on. I want to be like my teacher. Don't you? I want to be like my Jesus. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. To be more and more like him. And in fact, that is what he wants us to be. He tells us in his word of Romans 8.29, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are supposed to become more like our teacher.
more like our Lord, more like our Savior. I would go a little further than Anderson did here in his study. I would say not only are we affected by their influence, but we also a lot of times are damaged by the influence of, of our family. Uh, there's a lot of divorce that goes on in America today, and there's a lot of damage that's kind of a fallout of divorce. There's a lot of things that our, our parents do that affects us, but there's also a lot of things that go on in society that affect us. There are a lot of things that go on in the government that affect us. There are a lot of things that go on in the schools that affect us. There are a lot of things that go on in the churches that affect us, right? And a lot of that is damaging. We got to go to the source. We got to go to the Lord. We got to line up with him as a child of God. You ever heard these things? He's just a chip off the old block. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, guess what? When you, in Christ Jesus, you got a new block, right? You're chipped off of a new block. And you know what? You're engrafted into a new vine, aren't you? Everything changes, you see, in Christ Jesus. For some of us raising, uh, uh, for some, raising above our raising is a, uh, a big challenge uh, because our raising was really good. For some, raising above your raising should take nothing at all, right? Some of you are grinning like, oh yeah, that's where I came from. But All becomes a different perspective whenever you understand and view yourself now as a Christian, as a child of God, as one who's a member of the family of God. And that becomes your heritage. You have a new father, you have a new family, you have a new pilgrimage that you're set on. And you become then identified by that. And I think one of the most important things that comes out of this is your self-identity. How do you see yourself? Because the damage that may have been done to you may have burned some things into your life so that you don't see yourself as you really are. You see yourself as damaged goods and all that had to go into that um, has to be undone by seeing yourself now as a child of God. Reborn in him, now a part of his family. And as we find our identity over here, we're able to walk off from our identity over here. <clears throat> but how many things do we pick up, ideas do we pick up about ourselves and about where our identity comes from and about our production level or whatever else it may be that are just bogus and false? We should be identified by who we are in Christ Jesus. The relationship we have with the Heavenly Father, the family that we're now in, in the family of God. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Look at the things that he says about us. And we have to let that be the thing that defines us. But so often, it's all this other stuff that defines us. And moving out of that into the new is a challenge. I have a lot of conversations with Mike sometimes about where I'm at, where he's at, and so forth. And he said to me before, he said, I really, you need to sit down with Neil Anderson and just see what he says, you know? Because sometimes all of this stuff doesn't fit in nice little categories like we'd like for it to, right? But there's a redefining that needs to take place in our life that's based upon who we are in Christ Jesus. 
Not what your peers say, not what your parents say, not what societal norms say, not what your government says, your school system says, or even your church says, but what God says about you. Now, if you've got good parents, they can lead you in that and give you some step up on that. If you've got a good church, it should be able to give you a step up on that. I mean, I'm not saying that these institutions can be without value, but more and more in our society today, we see that they're not. And in the end, if we end up hating God, if we end up seeing him as something then he, less than what he is, then we're in trouble. Then we fall into this category of people whose iniquities of the Father, the world, everything else around them is going to affect them in such a way that they're not going to be a part of the blessing. Why? Because they're not lovers of God. They're worshiping something else, some other idol, and they have come to a place where they do not love the Lord. We don't want that to be us. And at that point, the law of the harvest kicks in, doesn't it? And if you hate the Lord and you act according to that, then the DNA of the world says this is what's going to come your way. In Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. It's just that simple. So don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as you have opportunity, do good to all people, especially to those who are part of the family of believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't have to own the dysfunctionality of your family or your church or your world or your government or whatever. You don't have to own that. All of us get to make our own faith pilgrimage with the Lord. We all do. Your journey is going to be different than your parents. It just is. Ace and I have had this conversation on many different levels, but let me take it to a simple level. I've sat down with him before, and you know we've been listening to music as we're driving to go fishing or something. And there are some songs that just, you go, no, we shouldn't really be listening to that. And I said, son, look, the progression of the world is such that someday... I listen to country and western music pretty selectively, a lot of old stuff that I have recorded. And I said, there's going to be a day where you may not be able to listen to country and western music at all. Because the world changes in such a way that you're going to have to take your faith and put it into your world with some expertise. And what once might have been workable will not be workable anymore. And so all of us are going to have this journey that we're going to have to make I mean, come on. When I was in school, it was chewing gum. And, and you remember elementary school, right? Things have changed. I remember thinking, I am never going to let my kids talk on the phone as much as my mom and dad did. That was not even an issue when my teenagers got there. They didn't want to talk on the phone. They had these, these things. Yeah. That's why they all have hands like this. They're doing all this, right? You're going to have to apply your faith along the way in ways that are going to require you to have an ongoing love relationship with God. You can't just, you can't just take something from the past and say, we're going to plug this in. It may not plug in anymore. So we have this pilgrimage that we make for, with the world and with the Lord. 
refuting lies, getting rid of bitterness, dealing with rebellion, dealing with pride, dealing with the immorality that's around us, and even the curses, stuff that's handed down to us by all of our family, friends, and whatever else it is. In Christ, though, the point is that we can be free from all of this and we can walk after the Lord. That is the, all of what Anderson is saying here. We can walk in the midst of this in a way that's honoring to God. He says this, primarily it's through confession, repentance, and faith. Resisting the devil, submitting to God. He says once we step into freedom to maintain that freedom and grow in grace with Christ, we need to continue renewing our mind to the truth of God's word. If we become aware of lies that we have believed, we renounce them and we choose truth. If more painful memories surface, we forgive the hurt, renounce any sinful part that we played. He said many people choose to go through all of this stuff again and again because new stuff comes up. Life changes. The idea is that freedom can be had and that there is a truth that we can embrace. There's a renewing of our mind that can take place that will transform us. He says that we're not called to dispel the darkness, but to turn on the light. Have you ever gone into a dark place and just tried to push out the darkness? You can't do that, can you? What you have to do is turn on the light. And you turn on the light with truth. If you look at the prayers that, that Anderson has given us in this study, uh, you're going to find a lot of them. He'll say, I renounce the lie that, and then he'll list the lie, and then he'll say, and I choose to, and he'll list that truth. So much of the struggle is understanding the lie versus the truth. And I love that because whether when you go, when you go through it and look at the stuff that he had here in bondage and, and freedom, revol resolving sexual sin, pornography, uh, homosexuality, abortion, suicidal tendencies, drivenness or perfectionism, eating disorders, self-mutilation, substance abuse. He identifies lies that people believe that get them into these messes to begin with. So that they can replace those lies with truth. And if we don't do that, if we continue to believe the lies, stepping out of, of this stuff into where Jesus wants us to be is very difficult. And you may find along the way that you're going backwards because you believe more than one lie. And you may have to replace something else along the way. I want to end this morning by reading what Anderson ends his book with. He just ends it with a list of truths that talk about who we are in Christ Jesus and who we need to see ourselves and believe ourselves to be based upon the word of God and what that really means. So listen to what he says. I renounce the lie. There it is again. See, I renounce the lie that I am rejected, unloved, or shameful. In Christ, I am accepted. There are some people that just need to stop right there for about an hour and a half, right? God says, I am God's child. What does that mean? What is the significance of that? To walk down the street holding his hand. 
I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord and I am one spirit with him. I've been bought with a price, so I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I got a family. I'm a saint, a holy one. I've been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am absolutely complete in Christ. Now, if I was to ask you, who are you? Probably most of you, the best you could have come up with this morning was I'm a child of God. And hey, that's a great start. But there's a little more bonus here, isn't there? Would it be important to know these things? And to see ourselves in relationship to God this way? Would that change our self-esteem and self-identity? If this is the way we really saw ourselves? He says next, I renounce the lie that I am guilty, unprotected, alone, and abandoned. In Christ that I am secure. God says, I'm free from condemnation. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we still condemn ourselves. I'm assured that God will work all things together for my good. Some of you are grinning. You've already figured that one out. I'm free from any condemning charges against me. That's what the devil does. I cannot be separated from the love of God. Doesn't that give you chills? I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. <coughs> I am confident that the good work God has begun in me, he will, will be perfected. This is one of my favorite. I'm a citizen of heaven. The more America does this, the more I'm glad my citizenship is there. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I like that one too. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of discipline. I can find grace and mercy to help in my time of need. I'm born to God and the evil one cannot touch me. And then he says again, I renounce the lie that I am worthless, inadequate, helpless, or hopeless. If we could just get rid of those lies, most of our depression, anxiety, and all our other problems would be gone, right? In Christ, I am significant. God says I'm the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I'm a branch of the true vine, Jesus and a channel of life. I've been chosen and appointed by God to bear fruit. I am personal, spirit-empowered witness for Christ. A lot of people miss that one. Somebody else's job. I am a temple of God. What are you going to do with the temple? I'm a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's co-worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am God's workmanship created for good works. He put me together and continues to mold and make us. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's a big bonus, isn't it? 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he concludes it this way. I am not the great I am, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's pretty good. Battles for the mind. The battle is for the mind. It's with our mind we embrace truth. It's with our heart we fall in love with God. Let's get our heart and our mind together. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity just to look in your word today. And be reminded of all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to step into and embrace the work that you've done for us so that we could live triumphantly. In a world, Lord, that is lost and dark. The need is desperate for people who know grace and can walk in your truth with a heart of love for you that allows us, Lord, to be your light and your love to a lost and dying world. Lord, if there's any here that haven't stepped into that, that are listening somewhere, Lord, that have just not embraced it, then these things that we are as a part of your work in Christ Jesus is not theirs. And they're destined to define themselves by the logic and the thinking of this world, which in the end, Lord, is ultimate destruction. So, Lord, stir up within the, them and us even more so each day a desire to walk into the things and live in the things that are the truth and not the lies of the enemy. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. You've come that we might have life and have it abundantly. It's that simple. Help us to choose life, Lord. God, I pray that all would choose life. We love you, Lord. Amen.